The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Chronicles, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, PoppyChulo Radio, Pop Culture on Demand. Today is Monday, February 13th, 2023, and I'm your host, Priscilla Obregon. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on HBO's The Last of Us. Please welcome my co-hosts, Vinny Hatcher. Hello, everyone. Are you ready to endure and survive this cast with us? Oh, I love that. And Jeffrey Aruz. Welcome back, listeners. Grab a box of tissues, just in case. So with that being said, let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 5, which is titled Endure and Survive, and debuted, oddly enough, February 10th, 2023 via HBO Max, and February 12th, 2023 on HBO Official. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. While attempting to evade the rebels, Joel and Ellie cross paths with the most wanted man in Kansas City. Kathleen continues her hunt. Endurance Survive begins the look back at the recent past when the people of Kansas City Quarantine Zone took over the QZ from FEDRA. The people of Kansas City brutalized the FEDRA officers, beating them, hanging them, and shooting them point blank. As new rulers of the QZ patrol the streets looking for FEDRA, or collaborators, we see Henry and his deaf brother Sam hiding in the shadows as the pair attempt to make it two blocks to safety among the war-torn streets. We see that Kathleen has captured a cell full of people, a group of informers who she says she used to be scared of. She asked the group if it felt good betraying their neighbors to Fedra, watching them get sent to prison or killed in order to get things like medicine, alcohol, and even apples. But now the tables have turned, as Kathleen is in charge, and she states that lucky for them, no one needs to die. They can go to trial, and since they're guilty, they'll do some time, but first... Kathleen wants to know where Henry is. When no one replies, she tells her right-hand man, Perry, to kill the group. At this, one of the people claims that Henry is with Edelstein, the doctor Kathleen killed in episode four, a reveal which seems to surprise Kathleen. Edelstein said that he had a place to meet up with Henry and Sam if things went south. And Kathleen says that things have gone great now that Kansas City is free. But despite this knowledge, the man doesn't know where Edelstein, Henry, and Sam are going. As Kathleen sends her men out to find them in the city immediately, stating that finding Henry is their priority. When Perry asks if they're really putting people on trial, Kathleen responds that no, they're not. That Perry should burn the bodies when he's done since it's faster. So with that, I'm going to pause and ask, Vinny, what did you think? This was an interesting introduction. Um, I kind of liked how we got a little bit of backstory about what was happening in Kansas City. um, And we got introduced to Kathleen and could see how her regime very clearly was being run. 
Um, that being said, I didn't really care for Kathleen as a character. Um, something about her just didn't really hit me. But overall, like what was going on in this area was very, very intense. And watching these people like fight for their revolution only to become the the same type of oppressors that they were trying to rebel against was a very awesome piece of irony because it's just an endless cycle of destruction and violence. And you get to see how it just causes things to deteriorate. And, you know, a coup like that, it's it's very hard to get, keep it going forever because if you just end up becoming another regime like the one before with a different flag, you're going to have the same problems. There's going to be people who rebel against you. Um, so it was very clear that it was inevitable that Kathleen's group was probably going to face some serious trouble. But just the sheer visceralness of the FEDRA agents getting beaten and the FU FEDRA and the the sharp backstory for this area, I was here for that. But Kathleen herself, I didn't really care for. So we have one vote for nay for Kathleen. Jeffrey, what did you think of Kathleen in the scene? I didn't mind her. I, like, I didn't mind her in the previous one. Getting a little bit of backstory this time around uh, was interesting in particular about Henry and Sam. Like, I like that we got to spend some time with them before, like, the stuff that we saw with them at the tail end of the previous episode. I wasn't sure if we were going to get that, but uh, I guess I should stop, like doubting that we're going to get to know some of these characters a little bit more because we have been throughout, you know, these few episodes of the series that have debuted thus far. You know, it seems like they're doing a really good job at expanding some of the game characters in interesting and unique ways. So I I enjoyed what we saw. I mean, it made sense to me, much like what Vinny just said. You know, they're they're overthrowing Fedra. This has been well we learned this later on, but this has been a horrific Fedra regime. And now that it's been overthrown, it's turning they're I mean they're basically turning into what Fedra was so it's like this as, as sort of as Vinny said you know the cycle you know when you are oppressed and you do a revolution sometimes you become the oppressor and uh, unless you learn from the mistakes of the oppressive regime and clearly Kathleen didn't uh, what I thought was fascinating and and I mentioned this to you Priscilla last week was the fact that Kathleen seem to be in charge of everything and we haven't gotten there but it's interesting how she becomes the person in charge because like i would say someone that is so tunnel vigilant as as her and we saw that in the previous episode and we saw that in this opening scene does not make for a good leader so uh watching that aspect of her was like was i don't know it was it was intriguing to me because um, I was like, okay, you you ha- are so focused on your one goal that's incredibly self-serving. Like, you aren't going to be a good leader for the masses. I'm just saying. I see her and someone, like, made it perfectly, like, with a sta- statement online that she's like a Karen who got power in a post-apocalyptic regime like that what she does like the fact that she focuses solely on like what's important for her which is her like revenge plot is 
typical of what like a suburban like white wife with like the weird Karen hair like in the may I speak to your manager voice like it's just it's it's perfect and I loved how she kind of like plays up that by kind of swallowing her vowels like how she like kind of is very timid and like soft-spoken but it's kind of even scarier to to see like someone who could be your kindergarten teacher like say such bloodthirsty things like oh just burn the bodies I don't really care like things like that like the contrast I like so unlike Vinny I actually like quite enjoyed Kathleen I think she's interesting uh, we kind of get to know why Perry, like, follows her. But I kind of wish, like, there was more backstory to Perry. Because it's just... He just seems like somebody who was part of the regime. Someone who, like, really got into it. And is just, like, following her orders, too. Like, so, it's just... I don't know. He he was kind of an empty character to me. That's the one character in the scene that I disliked. I think in the episode as a whole... We kind of understand, based off of the later sequence, he seems to be someone that was down for the revolution no matter what. And uh, because she had successes, like, he was down for that cause completely. Okay. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get that. But, um, okay, now we'll continue on. And from that scene, we cut back to Henry and Sam who've made it to the meetup point and find Edelstein hiding in a crawl space. Edelstein says Fedra officer told him about the place and that Fedra has no idea this place exists. The trio don't have any ammunition and didn't find much food to survive on, so the plan is to sneak out of the QZ as Henry thinks they can get out via tunnels. Henry thinks that based on their food, they have 11 days to figure out their next move. Edelstein points out that Sam is scared because Henry is scared. Sam talks to Henry, who's drawing superhero on his magic slate toy that he keeps around his neck. Henry tells Sam that they're 100% safe and reassures Sam that he's not scared. But Henry says that the only problem in this place that they're hiding is that it's ugly. So he gives Sam a big bag of crayons to help decorate the place, as the two brothers immediately get to drawing on the brick walls. We see 10 days later that Sam has drawn superheroes all over the hideout a character that Henry calls Super Sam. The streets are full of soldiers, and the group is down to one can of food. Sam wants to eat it, but Henry says that they should wait for Edelstein, who has been gone a whole day. While Henry promises he'll be back the next day, he still hasn't returned, and Henry tells Sam that he's not returning and that they have to leave since they're now out of food. But Henry has been waiting for the teams on the street and knows their pattern so they can get away. Henry tells Sam that Fedra probably killed Edelstein and the two hug, knowing that they all they have left is each other. Looking around the hideout, Henry gets an idea. Henry tells Sam to close his eyes, and Henry paints an orange superhero mask around Sam's eyes, turning his brother into Super Sam. I'm going to pause here and ask, uh, Jeffrey, what did you think of the brothers? I absolutely adored both of them. Like, good grief. I don't know what it is about this series, but it just makes you, like, fall in love with characters, and it makes you want to root for characters almost instantly. Like, And also, 
I mean, listeners, we're, we're talking sort of happy right now, but it seems like these odd number episodes, like, have an immense amount of tragedies on this series as well. But, I mean, instantly, like, I was rooting for both of them. Like, I didn't know why Fedra, no, they're, they aren't Fedra, sorry, why the revolution was looking for both of them at this point. And uh, outside of the fact that, you know, Henry was an informant or something. But, you know, I was like, it, he probably informed for a good reason. And how could you not love Sam? Like, you just want to protect Sam at all costs. So, I mean, they were just immensely uh, rootable for. Like, I wanted them to get one over on Kathleen. Like, I wanted both of them to survive and to live to see another day. Hmm. Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that point later on. But, um... Vinny, what did you think of the brothers? They were a really great addition. I mean, obviously, I know they're the the one character uh, Henry is in the games. So I can't remember. I never got that far if the brothers or not. Uh, <clears throat> but no, I really, really, as as Jeffrey said, like these were characters that, you know, they were real. They were human, and we got to go on a journey with them, you know, and really start rooting for them, and you really started to care about them. Um, you know, just watching them interact and you could see how much Henry cared for Sam and, you know, they're just trying to survive while also having to fend off this evil bitch, Karen from hell. Um, I think it was really, really well written, filmed really, really well. And I was really happy to go on this journey with them because they were probably my favorite part of the episode. I feel like I got to this point in the game and I feel like they did such a good service making Sam, uh, deaf. Because I was just kind of like, he's not deaf in the video game, but but the video game like has like great like um, disability um, mods to make it so if you're blind you can play the game, if you're deaf like you can like th- there's a lot of like subtitles and like descriptions of things so like it helps you get through it like it's it's really friendly towards like the disabled community, so I was just like. In awe, and I completely agree with the post-show like credits talk between I, I think it was Mazin who said this that like he wishes he had thought of making Sam deaf in the video game because like it's such an obvious like thing to like honor another community that way and like make it like twist the knife even further for what happens next. Like it, it makes Sam both the underdog and likable even more. Like it makes him approachable. Instead of just like some random kid that you see, and I don't know, I just I I love it. It it makes him rely on Henry a lot more too, because like you don't have to have him be like five years old and like toddling after Henry and like and kind of it not making sense that like well it would make sense if he was like young and interacting with him that way, like where he relies on him like a baby bird following its like parent, but it. Like, he does it in a different way. Like, he makes him rely on him because of his disability. And it's just, it's amazing to me. And what's even crazier is, according to the podcast, uh, they had originally auditioned, like, opened auditions for Sam. And only five kids showed up, even though he opened the auditions on Twitter, too, just to, like, get, like, more of, like, the younger generation to see it and come. And I think he was, like, 
one of the five and was just, just blew them away. So they were like, we got to hire this kid. So it's amazing how, like, TV works out that way. It, I completely agree with both of you, though. Like, they are the standout parts of this episode. So continuing on, as they prepare to leave, they hear Joel and Ellie's truck crash from episode four and the impending shootout with the Kansas City crew. After seeing Joel take out the team, Henry says he has a new plan. Later that night, Henry and Sam find the building Joel and Ellie are sleeping in at the end of episode four and sneak up on them. Joel and Ellie wake up to find guns pointed at them from both Henry and Sam. Henry says they don't want to hurt them, they want to help them, and after a few questionable responses from Joel, Henry decides to trust this pair of fellow survivors. Henry introduces themselves and states that they're the most wanted men in Kansas City, but now that Joel and Ellie are here, it's a close call. Later, Joel and Ellie share their food with Henry and Sam, and Joel suggests they go their separate ways. But Henry has a different idea, stating that in the morning, he'll show Joel and Ellie how to get out of the city. The next morning, Joel and Henry look over the city, and Joel says he heard that Kansas City Federal were monsters, which Henry agrees, saying that they would rape, torture, and murder people for 20 years, and now the people have risen up and have done the right, done right back to Fedra, the same thing. Henry tells Joel he's not Fedra, he was worse, a collaborator. Even though Joel doesn't want to work with a rat, Henry knows the way out, and he needs someone to clear the way, since Henry has never killed anyone and has never been violent. So the pair decide to make an alliance of sorts. While they talk, we see that Ellie and Sam have already struck a friendship, with Henry saying he hasn't heard Sam laugh in a long time. Henry explains his plan, saying the city is run by Kathleen, but a way to get across town is through the maintenance tunnels that will get them to freedom. When Joel asks what they need him for, Henry explains that Fedra drove the infected underground 15 years ago and never let them come back up. Henry says that while everyone, including Kathleen, thinks the tunnels are full of infected, he has inside info from a Fedra guy that the tunnels are actually clean. Even though Henry agrees that the, pan, the plan is dicey as fuck, Joel and Ellie's ability to face two clickers in the past and walk away unscathed gives him hope. So, Vinny, what did you think of the meetup between our two duos? Oh, it was as fraught with tension as I fully expected it to be. I mean, you've got two groups of people who are one's on the run from one thing, one's running towards something else, and they've both groups have run into opposition. You know, there's not going to be I, I was honestly surprised how quickly Henry was one to trust, but it just goes to show the type of person that he is. He sees the best in people. But it was really fraught with attention. You know, I love the whole, oh, he just has an asshole voice. Like, that was great. You know, um, but no, I, I, I was glad that the, the groups met and I was glad that we really started to get to see these four people interact because at the end of the day, the best part of the story is the people and the interwoven stories and, you know, of other people's narratives that come across Joel and Ellie. So, yeah, I, I thought this meeting was great and I knew I hadn't seen a preview or anything, but I knew when they met that they were going to join up to some degree how much it ended up being, I was actually pleased with. It was a really, really great group dynamic. Jeffrey, what did you think of the Now Quartet? I was really excited because I was like, they are making friends. Because clearly it started off, you know, a, a little prickly. I mean, it's it's kind of difficult to warm up to somebody when uh, they're pointing guns at you. But I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, in my mind, I'm so hopeful with this show. Uh, I have learned by the end of this episode 
not to be hopeful at all. But um, you know, you can only you can only hope for for some for for certain things, and I'll say that later on. Uh, but I was incredibly hopeful. I was like, okay, they're forming like a little like a little group. Like not to compare it to the other post-apocalyptic zombie adjacent show the walking dead but i'm like you know they formed a community they formed a little group and that sort of thing where we are technically officially with this episode halfway smack dab in the middle of the season and so i was like okay are we gonna get some fellow adventurers on this trip across the country so at this point in the episode I was very hopeful. All that disappears very soon. <laughs> I, like, from what you mentioned in the last section that we talked about, plus this one, like, it, the show was perfectly, like, setting up people to, like, care for these people, love these people, because we're just gonna, like, ruin it for you later on, because nothing is right in the post-apocalyptic world. Like, people die. We just want you to know that. And... I feel like this show really does, like, the thing where it's showing Joel and Ellie people that, like, they can empathize and see themselves in. Whether it's, like, Tess loving Joel and wanting better for the world, that Joel wants to do that even though he can't. Or whether it's uh, um, the couple before in episode was it two or three i think it was three where they it shows like that you can love and protect someone who isn't your family in a post-apocalyptic world and joel like needs to kind of see and be shaken up and realize that like even though tess is gone he has someone to take care of and you're seeing it again now with uh henry and sam where like there's just like that bond of family and taking care of someone younger than you and like seeing like how you could make a dank place like a hideout like that like better with um like just colors and like ah that's just it it it, it hits me right in the feels and uh I did like the little like cinematic nod to um super sam with Henry, when Henry peeks out of the window, and you see the red line of light. That was beautiful. Flash, like, right in front of his eyes. That's awesome. Loved it. I love that Joel's like, I did real shitty things. I killed innocent people. But I'm no stoolie. Like, he, he has, like, such weird morals. But... I guess you got to stand for something in a post-apocalyptic world. I, I I agree. I like that Henry's like, yeah, I'm a bad person, but like, we you need me, so get over yourself. Like he he doesn't even like justify it. He knows he did a bad thing, but um he he's more useful than he is like a rat. So we you gotta keep him on. So, continuing on, the quartet makes their way to a bank that has a path to the tunnels, and as they enter, Joel tells Ellie to get her gun out. As they head through the tunnels, they don't find any infected, yet they eventually find an area covered in kids' drawings with a door that looks like the entrance to a cartoon castle. 
When they enter, they find the entire area for children, complete with more drawings, toys, books, and a makeshift soccer goal. Joel says he's heard of places like this where people went underground after outbreak day and made settlements. Joel finds a drawing that says, Our Protectors, showing two men named Danny and Ish. In The Last of Us Part 1, the video game, we learn that Ish was a man who went underground and discovered a family in the nearby suburbs when looking for supplies. Ish invited the family and the community was formed. Eventually, Ish met Danny and the two became protectors of their underground hideout as seen in the drawing, which is exactly a a copy of what was in the video game. At some point, however, one of the doors was left unopened, which left a group of infected in. While Ish and Susan, the mother of the first family Ish found, were able to escape the attack and run to the suburbs with a few survivors, their ultimate fate is unknown. In this underground playground, Sam finds an issue of Savage Starlight comic book, which Ellie could collects issues of in the first game. Ellie shows her excitement over the issue, and Sam and her bond even more over their love of the series. Ellie recites a quote from the comic, To the edge of the universe and back, endure and survive. While Sam teaches Ellie how to say endure and survive in sign language. Ellie convinced Joel that they should wait out here for a while, as there are actually things for them to do. Henry says it would be a good idea to maybe wait until it's darker. While it seems like Ellie and Sam are just excited to have some place where they can be normal kids for a while. As Sam and Ellie play... Joel tells Henry he shouldn't have been mad at Henry for being a rat as he understands why he would do something like that to protect Sam. Henry tells Joel what he said earlier about never hurting someone wasn't true. Henry explains that there was a great man who was never selfish and always forgiving, a man he would follow anywhere. But Sam got sick with leukemia and while there was medicine that would help Sam, Fedra had it and he knew he'd have to give them something big. That great man, the leader of the resistance movement in Kansas City, and Catherine's brother. Henry says he's the bad guy because he did a bad guy thing. But Henry says Joel gets it because even though he is a Deli's father, Henry can tell he was someone's father. After this, Joel decides they need to keep moving. So I'm going to pause here and ask Jeffrey, what did you think of this bonding moment between our quartet? Okay, so the uh, sort of like Disney fairy tale, happily ever after, castle, a painting mural thing that led them into the room was so weird just because, you know, we're in a post-apocalyptic world. And I was like, what the hell is on the other side? Like, it was so strange. Like, I felt for poor Sam, who like loved the magical, you know, uh, majesty, you know, in his, like, you know, child eyes of wonder type of thing, because, like, he immediately went over the door. But, you know, you can't do that uh, in a a post-apocalyptic world where there are, uh, you know, fungi people out there that are ready to, uh, you know, tear you to shreds. Um, so, So that little moment of just childlike wonder was really nice um earlier though just a a couple moments before that when henry was like see you know there's nobody down here and he's all talking loud and stuff like i don't know how old he's supposed to be but there is an innocence about henry and a sort of uh even though he's seen a lot 
because uh, he looks young enough that he could have been born, um, you know, maybe right before the outbreak or right after the outbreak. Like, you know, I, I can't really tell his age, but um, he still has this little spark of innocence in him that even though, you know, he was um, clearly cognizant of everything that Fedra was doing, the disgusting stuff that Fedra was doing, and he saw the revolution, and he became an informant, and so he was getting his hands dirty, and that sort of thing. At the end of it all, like, he still has this positive outlook, this hope for tomorrow that I thought was really nice. His conversation with Joel was really good, uh, you know, because once again, you know, a, a, a recurring theme that we've been saying, and I guess it's a recurring theme in the series, you know, you meet these people, they seem incredibly fascinating and wonderful. We learn their backstories just for stuff to happen in a post-apocalyptic world. So hearing his story, like, it, it really humanized him. Like, he feels he is a bad person because he provided information that led to a death. And so he's, like, racked with guilt over it. But he's justifying what he did because of Sam. Because Sam had leukemia and Fedra had the drugs that, that, that he needed. So that justification and, and then him, because basically he's a parent to Sam, he sees that Joel, well, he thought Joel was um, Ellie's parent. They immediately denied it in, in a wonderfully comedic kind of way. But he's like, I know you're a father. Like, you had someone. I can see it in you. So that moment of connection between them, even though Joel is still... You know, like I've said before, he's got walls up, he's got layers up, and that sort of thing. He rebuffed him, and and that's to me is his protective, like sort of like security blanket. Like he rebuffed him, but he felt everything that Henry said. You could tell just by the way uh, Pedro Pascal played it in his eyes, and then sort of like the juxtaposition of like them having this really intense, serious conversation where they're bonding. The kids are just bonding being kids, like being adorable, reading comic books, playing indoor soccer, like, you know, um, uh, Sam teaching her sign language. Like, it, it was just a wonderful respite from the horrors going on in the, um, the outside world and above ground. Vinny, what did you think? It's always interesting when there's the moral quandary of right and wrong, good and bad, evil, all that good stuff, because I I, I don't firmly believe that anyone is ever 100% of either. I mean, it's in human nature to be convoluted, you know, so when he is fighting with that battle of I did a bad thing, so I'm a bad guy, you know, it was real. It was a genuine feeling because anybody who does something bad, if they're not a complete asshole is going to have at least a moment where they're like, was that the right thing? Could I have done something different? You know, so to have him humanized further on top of being an awesome brother, but to hear his backstory and hear what actually happened, you know, it's the end of the world. And family comes first, and he did what he had to do in his eyes. There might have been another solution, who knows, but he did what he did to save his brother. 
and it just it as i said it humanizes him further it lets us kind of connect and you know at the end of the day it was the right thing to do to save his brother and i think he had started to come to terms with that and you know even though he still regretted it that just once again the fact that he still has a conscience about it shows that he's not this ruthless wanted criminal he's just someone who wanted to save his little brother and so it it really hit the feels because anyone who has family that you care about you understand that you're going to do anything to protect them family friends etc and him and Joel having the conversation, you know, it was really an awesome bonding experience because we're seeing these layers of Joel curl back with every episode and more humanity coming back out. It's like they're chipping away at his shell. And this was a really honest and open conversation that he had with Henry. And it was nice to see him open up to somebody other than Tess. And he'd started to open up with Ellie, but I think he felt a kinship with Henry. And the actress did a great job of portraying that. And the stuff with Ellie and Sam was super adorable, like watching them just interact and have fun. It was really awesome. I'm going to get into like something that is like a video game spoiler, but it didn't come out in the episode. So and it's probably not going to in future episodes. So I guess I'll just say it Um, during the during the trip to the uh, ish playground, basically. um, There's a corner where you see a bunch of like small bones and like what's implying that it's a bunch of children that are like dead and burned and covered with tarp and a little note on top that says at least they didn't suffer so like fucked up stuff happened and it could this episode could have been a hell of a lot worse by putting that there so i'm glad that like the only game now that they gave to like that like situation was the picture of danny and ish and the savage starlight comic which i when i saw the savage starlight comic i was like oh the collectibles and Sam and Ellie bonding over that and I I loved uh Joel and uh Henry being like does that even make sense and Duran survive like that's that clashes but like it's typical like old people just don't understand young affairs so like I just I love it the talk that Joel had with Henry where he's like I get where you're coming from like I would go through those things for my like kin too is kind of foreshadowing that like are you are you gonna do that when you feel that someone is like that important to you maybe ellie maybe not like what's gonna happen there and are you gonna feel like you're that rat too but ah god like and i i love the fact that like it took some people out that are like really like sam looks fine does how can you really have leukemia? Can a medicine really, like, fix that? And I'm like, first of all, leukemia in children that age is, like, 94% cured with chemotherapy. They probably get, got him, like, the good drugs, and he, like, got better. So, yeah, uh, next to that idea. And also, like, I see another contrast between uh, Sam and Henry and uh, Nick Offerman and, like, his, like, Bo, because he gets told, hey, we can give you medicine to live longer. And he's like, why would I want to live longer when, like, my quality of life is, like, shit? And with Sam, the same thing is offered to him at a steep price. And he still says yes because, like, it's a different situation. It's, it's a child. 
And even if it is in a post-apocalyptic world, even if they are going to be branded traitors and, like, nobody's going to love them anymore, like, isn't it better to survive, like, those couple of days to be with, like, your kin to enjoy as much as you can, even though, like Henry says, Sam doesn't really laugh all that much. Like, isn't it important to be with your family? So I I, I like those little, like, comparisons. So... For a short scene now, back to Kathleen, we find her in the kids' bedroom when Perry comes in, and they says that they still haven't found Henry or the man who killed Brian. Perry said that Kathleen's mom told him where she was, and we learned that this room is the room where Kathleen grew up with her brother. Kathleen reminisces about when she and her brother Michael were little, how this room seemed so big. Kathleen says that when she was little, she was scared of thunder. So when there was a storm, Michael would tell her their room was a big wooden box that nothing could get inside. They'd be safe if they were together in their perfect box. Kathleen says he was so beautiful, but that she isn't, and that he'd be horrified by the things she's done. She also says she knows Michael would want her to forgive Henry and not hurt him because Michael has told her the last time she saw him alive in jail. He wanted forgiveness, and Kathleen questions the point of giving forgiveness when it led to his death. Perry counters that Michael was a great man, but he didn't change anything. She did, and they're with her and her decisions. So I'm going to pause here because we're going to get into really long like scenes that I want to delve into and talk about the room scene. Vinny, you don't really like Kathleen, but I want to get your opinion on what her monologue here made you feel. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) I mean, I know at times I can be a heartless asshole, but Kathleen was a worthless character to me. I don't think she fit the bill. I think the actress was poorly cast or the writing was poor, one or the other, maybe both. Um, But she's a throwaway character to me. She's very clearly not going to survive very long. So I felt that this scene didn't do much for me or because I didn't care about her as a character. Like even as a villain, I wasn't invested in her. I, I didn't buy her as a villain. And this scene trying to give us a, a sort of like vignette into a brief vignette into her past and sob origin story, et cetera. Like it was supposed to resonate, but it fell completely flat with me because I couldn't connect with that character. Um, it, and it just, it was weird. Like I don't need her to be humanized. I don't need memories about her to know that she's, a ruthless bitch, <laughs> you know? So I'm sure it appealed to some, but for me, this was a worthless scene and didn't really do anything for me. Hmm. Worthless scene from Vinny. Jeffrey, did you think it was a worthless scene? My name is Sum, because it appealed to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm the complete opposite of Vinny. Uh, no shade to Vinny, because this is why we're here, to give our opinions. Uh, I wouldn't say that I connected with Kathleen, but at least I understood her. Like, that was a, a conversation that was meant to humanize her, and it worked for me. Like, I thought she conveyed it well. Uh, I th- also think it was, the, this was the conversation that I was mentioning to you earlier, Priscilla, where we're supposed to kind of understand where Perry's mindset is. We're also supposed to understand the, the, the juxtaposition of what the Kathleen regime looks like and what the Michael regime could have looked like. Clearly, Michael was a charismatic, kind leader that wanted 
uh, the best for his community, and, and clearly he felt that Fedra, based off of the horrors that they were doing, was not the best for his community. Kathleen is the type of person, uh, as you sort of have dubbed her, a, a Karen-y type of person that, as we discussed last time, is a very tunnel vision type of character that does not make for a good leader. A tunnel vision type of person is the type of person that is willing to do any and everything to make what they want become reality, sort of uh, completely uh, ignoring what the masses need. And we saw that in this episode. Uh, you know, I, I believe it was um, earlier, there was a line of like, well, we're going to go find them right now. And Perry's like, now? And she's like, yes, you know what, in a day, in a week, in a month, like we have to start searching now, every house. And so clearly that's not the type of leadership that's going to be successful for everyone. That's a type of leadership that's going to be successful for Kathleen. I mean, let's be real, Kathleen, if you want to start searching, go outside and start searching. You know why, you know what I'm saying? Like this is something that you need to be done. It's not something that's beneficial for the entire community. But anyway, but yeah, like this whole situation for me, like it worked in the sense that I got to see a different side of Kathleen. I got to understand her motivations. And uh, even though, yes, I will agree with Vinny, you know, I didn't feel like Kathleen was going to have a major presence on the series for what we were for, for like being introduced to her in the previous one and seeing her as this sort of revolutionary hero, this episode kind of broke down that myth or at least broke it apart, whatever idea that I had in my mind or concept of who this woman was. So for me, I, I, I was perfectly fine with uh, this sequence. I empathize with her because like, as Jeffrey has pointed out, this show brings out, like, a darker side of me. And I completely got where she's, like, she he wa- he would want me to forgive. But what does forgiveness really do? Like, I get, like, I've heard time and time again, revenge does nothing but hurt you and, like, the person that you're hurting. But isn't that the point? To, like, make things an eye for an eye, make things equal? And she, like, rages against a system that, like, isn't equal. That's why she makes a great revolutionary leader. But that's not to say that she makes a good leader in general. She doesn't pay attention to the needs of her community and obviously like we'll see that that spells the downfall of her community later on because she's single like she's single-mindedly focused on finding one person as opposed to I don't know maintaining upkeep of the community that she is the leader of now. But um just her doggedness to make things right in her head makes, like, perfect sense to me. I, I get where she's coming from. And, like, the little the little story that she gave where, she's, where, where she talked about, like, being protected in, like, this box and how it seemed so bigger when she was a kid, like... I felt like we didn't really need, like, that was froofy stuff. Like, I didn't really care about that. But I cared about the point where she's like, Michael would want her to forgive. Like, the the last part of the of the dialogue is what I liked. Not the first part. I felt the first part was kind of weak writing. So, 
I'm 50-50 here. I, I agree that it's weak writing. I don't think that she's a bad actress. And I like the way she ended things. So with that being said, we go back to the tunnels where we find that the group has all made it to the other side without running into any infected. As they walk through the suburbs outside, Henry says they don't know where they're going once they're safe, and Ellie mentions they're headed to Wyoming. Joel seems to not like that idea, but Ellie jokes that that's how it always works. He's against something, then she asks a million more times until he warms up to the idea. As Ellie talks, they narrowly miss a gunshot coming from a nearby house. As they hide behind a car, Joel says they should wait there and he'll sneak around the house and stop the guy. When Ellie worries about the plan, Joel replies, do you trust me? Ellie nods as Joel attempts to make his way to the shooter. Joel distracts the shooter as he makes his way to the house, barely missing the bullets that come his way. When Joel gets to the house, he finds an old man with a sniper rifle. Joel asks the man to slide over his gun, and when it seems the man doesn't want to comply, Joel says, please don't do it, please. The man tries to shoot Joel, but Joel shoots him before he gets the chance. With the man down, Joel hears on the nearby walkie-talkie Kathleen telling the man to hold them where they are. We're almost there. As Ellie, Henry, and Sam hide, we hear Joel yell, run, in the distance as cars come toward them from down the road. As the trio runs, Joel takes up the sniper rifle and attempts to shoot the cars before they hit Ellie, Sam, and Henry. Before a truck hits Ellie... Joel shoots the driver, knocking the truck into a nearby house, which catches on fire and blows up. With Kathleen's men on the road, hunting for Henry, Kathleen calls out he that Henry could save some time by coming on out. Henry replies that he'll come out, just let the kids go, to which Kathleen replies, no deal. Henry pleads that Kathleen doesn't understand, and Kathleen states that maybe Sam was supposed to die. Kathleen says kids die all the time, and does Henry really think that Sam is worth everything? Henry tells Ellie to take Sam and to get ready to run as Henry goes out to meet with Kathleen. Kathleen finally faces Henry, stating it ends the way it ends, going for her gun and getting ready to shoot him. But in the background, we see a nearby exploded truck sink into the background, and we soon hear the cries of infected underground. After being buried for years, a massive stream of infected comes out of the hole, attacking Kathleen's soldiers as Joel shoots down the infected that get too close to Ellie. Ellie makes her way into the truck as a bloater, a massive infected that Ellie mentioned in the second episode, which Ellie, th which Tess seemed, seemed to think didn't even exist, makes its way out the hole. The bloater tosses people like ragdolls before coming right for Perry and Kathleen. No matter how much Perry shoots, the bloater comes over and decapitates Perry easily. Back in the truck, an infected child makes its way inside, flipping and tossing her way towards Ellie. She safely makes her way out of the truck and then heads over to Sam and Henry, who are fighting off infected under a truck. Joel protects Ellie with a sniper while she makes her way to them, eventually stabbing the infected and getting Henry and Sam out of the situation. But before they're to safety, Kathleen finds them and holds them up in gunpoint. But behind Kathleen, the infected child sneaks up on Kathleen and attacks her as the four reunite and run away from the wreckage of what was once the Kansas City suburb. That was a lot. Vinny, what did you think? I mean, we're starting to get into the, the nitty-gritty action of the episode. Everything in the latter part of this episode was just one word. It was intense. Like, 
just the things happening and the infected coming and just Ellie and Joel and Sam and Henry trying to, you know, get by, get out. This was all like at a breakneck pace in a way. And I, I enjoyed the latter part of the episode a lot. Um, you know, the clickers are creepy and I love when they show up, but I also love that they're not being used overly much. They're being used just enough. I feel like to keep them creepy and to keep them inspiring fear you know, so as this stuff is starting to happen and we get to the desperation of what's going to be the denouement of the episode, there's this crescendo that is building with the factions going against each other. You know, the four of them trying to escape, Kathleen kind of coming after everybody, the clickers coming from underground. I, I really found myself glued to my screen for this latter part of the episode more so than I did at the beginning. So you liked it. Jeffrey, what did you think? I loved it. It was so good. Intense is the appropriate word for everything that happened uh, in, in, I would say, the final two sections of uh, the episode. This part in particular, like, I was worried for our four people. Like, I was worried for them. It also, I was like, why are y'all speaking loudly in this neighborhood? Like, it, it was, like, there were elements of, like, and, and I get it the kids and that sort of thing, but I'm like, come on, people. Like, there are dangerous individuals out there. Like, y'all need to be quiet. If they had snuck around, I think they would have, like, not um, caught the eyes of the sniper. I'm just saying. But anyway, and then everyone would have been able to have been happy at the end, including myself. But uh, But this whole section... When we saw in the previous episode of, like, the the shaking underground, like, Priscilla, because you were here, we knew something big was down there. This was not something that I expected. Like, I did not expect a flood of uh, infected to, like, just burst into the scene. So that visual was majestic in a horrific kind of way. I really, I'm just going to say this, HBO, why'd you have to spoil that the bloater was in this episode? They released an image promoting the fact that they were releasing the episode on HBO Max on a Friday because of the Super Bowl and that sort of thing, because this typically airs on HBO proper, the channel, on Sundays, and then it's on HBO Max. So they promoted it on their social media with the bloater. And I'm like, we saw him in the trailer. Did we have to get a tease or a complete spoiler that he, she, they were in this episode. Like, I think I would have enjoyed that as much more of a surprise. I think I would have also put two and two together because of just the trailer and, like, the visual from the trailer. Um, But, yeah, like, I didn't like that that was kind of spoiled because, I mean, it was a great debut for a bloater. The little girl that reminded me of Megan, the robot from the movie, I enjoyed her. She was everything. She was like Megan the Robot doing TikTok dances with a little bit of uh, the girl from The Ring, with a little bit of the girl from The Grudge. Like, she was giving me horror movie realness in that sequence. I liked her. And if we get more clickers like her, 
Because, like, the ones that we had saw before, like, they were just, I mean, they were normal in the sense that they were standing upright, you know, um, being predators in a in a normalish kind of way. Like, she took things to the nth degree, and I was here for that. I was very worried for Ellie, even though I really shouldn't be because she's the star of this, so she has an immense amount of plot protection. And I was worried for Sam and um, Henry. I loved that Joel was doing the best he could with a sniper rifle. If I were you, Joel, not to uh, let my inner Priscilla out, I would have just sniped Kathleen from the beginning. You know what I'm saying? Like, snipe the bitch. That would have been a distraction. And then all of the monsters come out, and that would have been even more of a distraction and then they all escape um but but anyway maybe i'm learning a little bit too much from uh, priscilla's example but but yeah but i like that he was there for her um the little uh that this was sort of like a little glimpse of joel being more of a proactive protector of Ellie than we've seen in the past. And we also get a little bit more of that in uh, the upcoming scene as well. And I like that. Okay, so I have a lot to say about this uh, scene. First of all, the old man with the sniper rifle, at the beginning I was like, why are you doing this? Why didn't you, like, give in and, like, put your gun away when you had the chance? You had mercy given to you. But then, like, I heard the podcast when they're like, no, the guy, like, purposely wanted to die. Like, he's like, I've seen a lot of shit. I don't want to live anymore. And he basically suicided by cop with Joel, which makes more sense. It's, it, it's the whole, like, wanting to live dynamic versus, like, being tired of the constant grind and wanting to die. And oh, that's so- interesting. That's an interesting take. I'm glad that that came from the showrunners because in my mind I just sort of headcanoned that – you know, if he would have let them go, I mean, clearly Kathleen would have killed him. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he's sort of like stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like, who am I going to die to, this man or Kathleen? And and let's be honest, I feel like Kathleen would have made him suffer. True. I didn't think about that. But either way, you just shot an old man. I feel like the community scene was like, you punched a lady bee. Like, it's 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 terrible like you you've done something that's like you've hurt an innocent or like or something that's weaker than you but like it, it just goes to show the hits keep coming and they don't stop coming like you're gonna you're gonna have bad shit happen in the post-apocalyptic world just gotta get used to it um to switch things up a bit uh the the scene where the truck almost hit ellie was like it was shot so well like i get that these are probably, like, trucks that are going, like, five miles an hour with the camera, like, facing them and then going, like, then switching to the side and, like, just CGI. I don't know how they do it. Like, it, it's it's obviously completely safe. But when I was watching it, I was like, oh, my God, Ellie. Like, I know what happens to her. And I still got freaked out when it got really close to her. So that was that was really good props to that. And the scene where Kathleen states, does Henry really think that Sam is worth everything? It's kind of like a mirror upon a mirror of itself because obviously Henry really thought that Sam was worth everything. That's why he gives up Kathleen's brother, like another innocent, someone who's a good man, 
to save his brother selfishly. But Kathleen is essentially doing the same thing by giving up her community, by giving up the good of what, like, Fedor was doing by, like, holding down the infected underground and not doing that and instead focusing on, like, revenge. Had she focused on, well, the ground is moving before, like, and fixed the situation instead of focusing on Henry. Well, Henry would have escaped, but her people would have survived. And obviously, she's like, she doesn't give a shit about people. She gives a shit about, like, does does Kathleen really think that her brother is worth everything? And both Henry and Kathleen said, yes, they're worth everything. And one more thing, the whole when the bloater comes and decapitates Perry, I thought it was such a great callback to the video game when a bloater, like, just beats the tar out of you. Like, the same thing happens. It pops your head, her head, your head off like a grape before, like, you have the whole Mortal Kombat fatality, like, moment where they're like, game over, restart. Like, it's the same sort of thing, like... And, ah, like, the that was just cool fan service, like, horror fan service. And another thing that was horror fan service was the little girl, the uh, who was obviously, who was played by a five-year-old gymnast, I think? Like, that was, like, beyond CGI. That That's practical effects magic. And I love it. I love that the, that the makeup artist made it so, like, the beginning, the helm piece is kind of like in a hoodie sort of thing so she could whip it off to eat so the little girl obviously like she didn't suffer like doing this scene but she it was still a really long and arduous process to take off the whole effects itself when like it came down to like finishing the routine and going home so it was obviously intricate and like designed well and props to the makeup company I will say sad for the makeup company, though, in that they got a six-foot-tall man, like, from the UK, shipped over to uh, Canada to film the bloater scenes. They put him in makeup, and they put him in stilts, and they made him do the bloater sequence, and it was perfectly, like, painted. And in the end, the, the, the people decided, well, I don't like how he moves. And they used CGI. They used him as a reference and into how he'd look. But a part of me is, like, really disappointed that they did that. Like, I kind of want to see the original takes. Because I always, like, prefer practical effects. And so I want to see what it looked like. Com- continuing on, the quartet makes it safely to the hotel as Joel and Henry talk. Joel mentions that they do not know how they're making it to Wyoming, but Henry and Sam are welcome to join them on the journey. Henry agrees, saying it it would be nice for Sam to have a friend and that he'll tell Sam in the morning. New day, new start. Instead of going to bed, Ellie and Sam read comics together, but using his magic slate, Sam asks Ellie if she's ever scared. Sam says she never looks scared, and Ellie replies that she's scared all the time of scorpions. But then Sirius, he says that she's scared of ending up alone. When Ellie asks what Sam's scared of, he replies, If you turn into a monster, is it still you inside? After asking this, Sam shows that he's been bitten on the leg. Ellie, upset by this reveal, shows her own bite and tells Sam that her blood is medicine. She cuts her hand, then rubs her blood onto Sam's wound, hoping this might do the trick. Sam asks Ellie to stay awake with him, and she promises her new friend that she will, and they hug. 
The next morning, Ellie has dozed off and finds Sam sitting on the edge of the bed, looking out the window. When Ellie goes up to him, she sees that he has turned. Ellie and Sam fumble into where Joel and Henry are sleeping, and Ellie tries to fight off Sam as best as she can. Joel goes for his gun, but Henry grabs it first, firing a warning shot at Joel. In the heat of the moment, Henry shoots Sam off of Ellie. Immediately, Henry realizes what he's done, having killed his little brother, the one person he's been fighting to protect. Crying, Henry aims the gun at Joel again, as Henry repeatedly asks himself, What did I do? Despite Joel's pleading, Henry takes the gun, puts it to his temple, and pulls the trigger, leaving Joel and Ellie in shock. Outside the hotel, Joel has dug two graves for his brothers, and Ellie leaves Sam's magic slate on Sam's grave. Ellie asks Joel which way is west and starts walking. Joel sees that Ellie has written, I'm sorry, on Sam's slate, and from the distance she calls for Joel, saying, let's go, as they leave the pain and friends they met in Kansas City behind. Vinny, what did you think of this dramatic conclusion to the episode? <laughs> I mean, anytime a character is introduced that I like, just like anytime a show starts and I love the first season, I just expect it's going to die <laughs> or they're going to die. I really expected a sad end at this episode because I knew there was really no way that these two were going to continue along with Joel and Ellie. It was too good to be true. And the main story is Joel and Ellie. Uh, so I had I, I knew going into this, you know, that there was going to be a sad end to this. And, you know, it really did Im- improve the poignancy and the, the grace of these two characters. Like they were in really one episode, even though they were technically in two, they were mainly in this episode. And the fact that we were able to feel so much for them just goes to show how well it was written. The the ending thing with Sam and Ellie and then the attack thereafter and what happens, it was just heart-wrenching because you could tell that Ellie and even Joel were kind of hoping that things were going to be a little bit better that they were going to have this like ragtag group and all that and then the the it just the apocalypse it pulls the rug out from underneath of you and you're feeling with them the disappointment the grief the loss of hope also uh what's her face getting her comeuppance was absolutely great I'm like great she's dead I can move on yay Like, didn't care for her as a character, and I was glad that she met the fitting end that was pretty much template for her. Um, I will agree that the gymnastics on that little girl was freaking crazy. It was creepy. Mm-hmm. Glad you liked something about this episode. Uh, Jeffrey, our bright ray of sunshine, what did you think about this dour moment in the episode? Oh, there's no sunshine here. Uh, It was at this moment in this episode when I realized that the only person I can really care about that I know has to live is Ellie. Because, yeah, my hopes and dreams of a little crew for our people was incredibly dashed in a big way. Oh, gosh. Like, I knew something bad was going to happen just because they were really nice people. And I wasn't sure what it was going to be. I was like, the way that Henry was talking, I was like, did he get bitten or something? But then I was like, oh, but that's going to be difficult because they don't know sign language. And yes, they have the little um, erase board thing that they have, but that would be incredibly difficult for them. And then I was like, oh, no, please don't tell me. 
And then when he had the conversation and he was like, is it still you inside? And we see the gash. Like, I just started getting emotional. Like, I was really invested in this. And uh, when Ellie was doing what she needed to do, and I was like, that's not how science works. Like, you need to, like, you know, lab and testing and, you know, formulate a cure and, and a serum and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's not just you cut yourself and you put your blood on that blood. And that's how you become blood brothers and sisters and that kind of stuff. That's not how you cure. Uh, but, I mean, she's a child, so she's going to do what she feels makes sense, and that made sense to her. And in the back of my mind, I was like, could this kind of work, you know, in some weird post-apocalyptic suspension of disbelief on a sci-fi horror show? Could this actually work so that the child can stay alive? Could he end up becoming like her in the sense where she's infected but survives. I had just a, a tiny, tiny bit of hope. And then he turns in the morning. And props to the kid, because I'm sure the kid was having fun turning. You know what I'm saying? Like getting the chance to play an infected. But I was like, oh no. And then I was like, Henry's going to have to kill him. And and how is he going to react to that? And so he kills him basically on instinct. You know, it wasn't that, that, you know, it wasn't like he's like, I have to make this choice and I understand I have to kill my little brother because he has turned and there's no coming back from that. So he did it on instinct and the horror of doing that, as you said, Priscilla, you know, the the one person that he was doing everything for to make sure he's alive. And, like, the horror of that took over him. He, re he was like, what have I done? And then he commits suicide. I was, oh, gosh, the whole thing broke me. Like, I, tears streaming down my face. Like, it was just so sad. It was, it just was, like, this was an emotional episode. It was like a punch to the gut. What is it about these odd-numbered episodes? Like, they're all so damn emotional. I hope we get, like, a light one in the next one. But, yeah, like, oh, gosh. It was beautifully acted, incredibly tragic. Um, I will say, during this moment, when Henry was holding the gun, you could see a little bit more of Joel caring for Ellie. Because he was worried that Henry was going to, like, accidentally shoot her. Or maybe even shoot her in a retali ret uh, retaliatory type of way. Maybe not on purpose in a retaliatory type of way. But, like, you know, um, he's he's traumatized in the moment. So you have no idea what he's going to do. And um, Joel was uh, incredibly shooketh. And I like seeing that. Because, once again, it's the layers coming down. It's the walls breaking down. And it's him actually caring for Ellie. Ellie being shooketh by the whole thing. Because she's a child, she's seen a lot, she's experienced a lot, but that was still incredibly horrific. So the way that Ellie played it, the way Bella Ramsey played it, I thought was um, appropriate for like everything that she's experienced over the past 24 hours. But yeah, it was incredibly tragic, beautifully acted, horrific to watch, uh, quite an emotional roller coaster, and um, yeah... 
you are not alone. I totally like cried. Like not bald, but like little tears came down my like face and like I had a lower lip tremble when I saw like when two scenes. One where Henry did something that like is gonna be in the his demo reel for sure if he's any like smart actor. That moment where he goes, What have I done? And he looks at the gun. And he has, like, a brief, like, flash of, like, understanding, horror, then, like, disgust, and then, like, finally to acceptance. And he just, like, turns and, like, kills himself in his grief. Like, so many emotions, like, right off, like, the drop of a hat, like, in the span of two, three seconds. Like, and all within just, like, a gaze. It's not him saying anything. It's just him reacting to something. And I'm like, damn, that is, like some real good acting like i if 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 the show doesn't get an emmy for one of the guest stars like there is no justice in the world cuz that was that was really good <laughs> uh to get on a lighter note like when ellie was like i'm scared of scorpions i cracked up cuz i'm like yes you go for the one thing that isn't lethal to you and won't actually kill you it's just going to hurt you uh ellie of course you do that um, and some in-game lore that will make you kind of depressed. When Sam says, if you turn into a mon- into a monster, is it still you inside? According to the podcast, Mazin thinks that it is. That, like, he, that, that Sam was still, like, inside, like, kind of suffering when he died. And as for in-game lore, there are some moments when you're, um trying to like affect a clicker or a runner that you'll hear them like devouring like another person or something and crying like guttural like sobs of like a woman like there's a clip of that on YouTube so it's stating that like the human inside is there and they're disgusted by what they're doing by what they've become like when they're fresh but there's nothing they can do because the fungus has taken over and is like controlling everything they do so that's nightmare inducing like oh god that was terrible but yeah definitely in an episode where there was a lot of like poignant like amazing scenes and like great fight scenes in action this scene is what like will stick in my head not the bloater not kathleen and her according to Vinny, ineffective speech this this was like epic. So with that being said, now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. And Vinny, since you weren't here last time, I'll let you go first. What do you pick as your MVP? I go with the character that had the most impact on me, and that would be Sam. Um, Henry would seem like a logical choice because he had the meteor role, but I think the role of Sam played such an like subtle impact on the overall story, but was connected to everything indirectly or directly. And he was the character that made me feel the most in this episode. You know, he was adorable. His interactions with Ellie were great. It was something she needed to have a friend 
and the way that he brought out the protective instincts and his brother, and he was kind of the catalyst for Henry doing what he did. He was kind of like the grenade that set off this chain reaction with Kathleen, Henry, and then Joel and Ellie getting swept up in it. And just at the end of the episode, when he ends up becoming an infected, it really kicks you in the emotional nards. So, yeah, he got my MVP. Okay, so one of the duo is taken. Jeffrey, are you going to take the other part of the duo? 100%. Henry is my MVP. Lamar Johnson brought so much to the role. Just, oh my gosh, he was so fantastic. The character was spectacular. I was rooting for him. Uh, it, it hurt when both him and, Hen- and Henry, both Henry and Sam died at the end. Uh, uh, gosh, like they were just so wonderful. And I wish that we would have spent a little bit more time with them before, you know, bad things needed to happen to these characters. I completely understand that it's a part of the game and that sort of thing. I, I did see after I watched the episode a, you know, as they've been releasing, fans have been making, uh, you know, compilations where it's like showing what happens on the show, you know, synced up with what happens in the game and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Henry was just so wonderful. I was rooting for him. The actor was incredible. Uh, I look forward to seeing more stuff with him in the future because he was just so good in this role. But yeah, for me, it was Henry. Like, Henry, out of the new people, really carried the episode. Like, I was 100% rooting for him and uh, was really shaken by uh, what happened at the end. Since you guys took the two meatiest characters, I think I'm going to go for the dark horse in this, in this episode. And I'm going to go for Kathleen because I really dig her whole vengeance is mine, like sort of like one track mind. And I really dig the whole like quiet fury, like the whole, it's like, the fact that she doesn't play, and maybe you all have heard of this, like the whole Adrienne Curry like dilemma on Twitter, where she's like, "Where, where's like a stronger like meteor woman when you need one to be like the the leader of a resistance?" And she's like, "No, I'm supposed to be smart, not like built. Like that's what henchmen are for." And I love the fact that like we got a different side of things. Like, Kathleen isn't in the game. Like, it's just a bunch of, like, rebels, like, who have taken over the the Kansas City. Or, well, it's not Kansas City. It's Philly, I think, in uh, the video game. But, like, yeah, it, it's just a disordinate group of people. But I think it added, like, something interesting to the TV series to have her there. I think she brings out, like, again, like, I don't mind seeing a Karen so long as she's not, like, getting in my way. And having her be, like, the the bad guy is just, like, it's the cherry on this brutal Sunday. Like, it's perfect. It's exactly what I want. I want to see varied villains. I don't want to see, like, mustache-twirling, like, classic villains. Or And I really don't want to see... A zombie show where the zombies are inherently like they're the only bad guys because if I wanted to see that I'd watch like Day of the Dead again and watch like a true classic like awesomeness but like I want to see 
hum, humans and their and their intricacies and their faults and how that makes them the scary the scariest part of the post-apocalyptic world. So, yeah, Kathleen for sure. Now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 infected? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than 10, you may grant it the coveted golden infected. And I'm going to start with Jeffrey first. Jeffrey, what did you give it? Golden. Uh, this week, it, it's a golden bloater uh, in honor of the bloater's debut. Uh, yeah, 100% uh, golden for me. It was practically perfect in every way. It, it was an emotional roller coaster. It was uh, it, it was an emotional roller coaster, and I had tickets for it. Uh, yeah, it was it was so good. It was just a really good hour of television that really took me through the gamut of emotions. Everybody did a fantastic job. Um, the acting was really good. Uh, the um, action sequences, uh, where I should say the action sequence, uh, that major set piece was really good. And then the emotional gut punch at the end. Uh, yeah, so for me, golden, 100%. So we've got a golden. Finney, what did you give it? You're traveling through another dimension, not the Twilight Zone, but prepare to enter the Persnickety Zone. <laughs> <laughs> We knew this was coming, Priscilla. Yeah, this episode, like I said, the latter half of it was good for me. My biggest problem was I feel like this episode and last week's should have just been one episode. I I think that the story was stretched out much further than it needed to be. Like, I was incredibly bored by the week before's episode, and now I understand why. Like, there was stuff that was missing for me. Um, But overall, I'm going to give this an 8 it's not a 9, 10, or golden for me, unfortunately, but that's because I did not enjoy Kathleen as a villain. I thought her setup was very sloppy. I thought the writing in some places with her and the character and just overall the story arc didn't really fit well or go well. I, I didn't see the need for her to be created as a new character when we have the game existing. And, you know, if they were going to create a new character, I think they could have written it more powerfully. I thought it was very messy how she was set up as the villain, and I didn't buy the people following her the way that they did. Like, I do get she was the first person to show strength, and, you know, she just became in charge. But this whole arc didn't sit well with me. I didn't really care for it. But that being said, the last half hour of this episode was the best out of the past two hours that this arc took up. The the intense action the drama the caring between the brothers and you know the ultimate sadness so as it neared the finish line it it did reel me in but it took an hour and a half of storytelling between this episode and last episode for me to actually really be fully invested uh so i felt like eight was a fair thing for me i wonder if you would have watched last week last week and this week this week if you would have had a different opinion it's possible maybe Watching them back-to-back maybe could have impacted that. I don't know, though, because I, I think the whole thing with me was this whole Kathleen thing. It just, I, I don't know, it just, I can't put my finger on everything besides the writing with her, but it just didn't, it didn't hit well with me is the only way I can describe it, and I thought it was too drawn out. So I'm going to be the pleasant medium here, sort of, in that I'm not going to give it an 8, but I'm not going to give it a golden either, because like you said, I did have quibbles with the Kathleen writing, Per se, like, the part where she's supposed to, like, stand up the most with that uh, whole monologue about um, her brother in the room 
and I don't know, like that the part at the beginning, I was just kind of like, just get to the part where why you want to kill yes. him. Like, but you gave so, her your MVP. I gave her my MVP, but <laughs> I I didn't like that scene. I felt like she's a great actress, but I still feel like they did their, they did her a disservice by giving her weak writing there. Like it, she she can do better. She can choose scenery. If y'all haven't seen yellow, yellow, um, I think it's Yellow Jackets. But like yeah. you, you should like. Heck, even go back further and check out Heavenly Creatures. Oh yes. <laughs> or go in, or go a little bit into the past and go forever after. <laughs> she's a she's a great actress, and I just I feel like they they did her dirty there. Like the if you have amazing scenes with Henry and Sam. Like, you can't rely just on game writing to get you by. Like, your real writing has to be, like, solid, too. So, eh. with that being said, like, that's just a minor quibble, though. Overall, the show was really good. So, I'm going to give it a 10. Not perfect, but close to. Had they just fixed that one scene, I would have been, like, perfect with it. I would have given it the golden, like, bloater right away. So with that, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Cordyceps Chronicles. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Cordyceps Chronicles and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish listeners a good night, starting with Vinny. Au revoir. And Jeffrey. Good night, listeners. Safe travels. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Cordyceps Chronicles via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Tuesday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychuloradio.com slash archives. Good night, and also endure and survive. For the night is young and full of terrors.